0: I'm Tom Rickert. I'm the executive producer of KYW News Radio In Depth. And today we're doing something a little bit different on the podcast. There's a lot going on in the Philadelphia area important news and powerful stories that we want to try and get out to as many people as we can. So today we asked some of our colleagues here at KYW News Radio to sit around a virtual table, if you will, and talk about the stories we're following and some of the work that's been happening here at the station. We called it The Rundown from KYW News Radio. And here's the episode. YW News Radio Original Podcasts.
1: It's January 14th, 2021. I'm J. Scott Smith. And on the rundown, we're talking about vaccines, the rollout, how it's going to be handled. What can we expect when it comes to the rollout for vaccines here in the Philadelphia area?
0: Well, we can expect that line to get long because in in New Jersey, Governor Murphy just added more than two and a half million people to those who are eligible. He added people over sixty-five and he added people with the chronic medical conditions.
2: We're gonna see some specific outreach to communities of color because so far in Philadelphia, ninety percent of the vaccine has gone to non-African Americans.
1: That's what's coming up on this episode of the rundown from KYW News Radio.
2: It's called The Rundown.
3: One of the major issues that we're hearing both of them.
0: The, the supply just isn't there.
2: And so I, that's what I'll be watching. The money.
3: From KYW News Radio.
2: Hey, you're a reporter. You'll like a that pivot. was a pivot my Mike. Yeah.
1: <laughs> we're joined here on The Rundown with three of my colleagues. We'll start first with KYW's community affairs reporter, Cherry Gregg. Say hello to everyone, Cherry. Hi. Uh, hello, everybody. KYW Suburban Bureau Chief Jim Melwert joining us today. Hello. And of course, we've got the veteran Mike DiNardo also coming in and joining us today. You're on the rundown.
0: Hi, Jay. Hi, everybody.
1: Good to talk to you all. Again, my name is Jay Scott Smith. Obviously, vaccines are the biggest thing we're talking about everywhere. And the vaccine rollout has been such an important part of everything here. It's been much, obviously, it's been talked about a ton with the change in administrations and everything else. And the biggest hangup is how are things happening? How are people getting them? And obviously, all three of you have covered different aspects of the vaccine rollout. And Mike, I know you've been looking at a lot of the New Jersey rollout. What has been going on in New Jersey and kind of give everyone an idea of how they're handling it now and what their plans are going forward?
0: Well, the line to get a vaccine in New Jersey just got longer because Governor Murphy yesterday added not only people who are over 65 years old, but he also added people who are age 16 to 64 with chronic medical conditions to the list of people who are eligible as of today, as of uh, right now. Uh, Those medical conditions include um, cancer, uh, sickle cell uh, heart conditions uh, and and even smoking and and smoking alone will add two million people to the list of those eligible to get vaccines right now. Of course, right now in New Jersey, uh, Group One A—that's uh, the police and firefighters and first responders—are getting uh, the vaccine. I should say the police and firefighters are in One B, but the governor moving them up to One A, so they're uh, getting their um, their vaccines. Um, right now, uh, overall, you have a pool of four and a half million people who are eligible right now, and the state's goal is to vaccinate four point seven million people, seventy percent of the adult population in New Jersey. So, if everyone got them, uh, you would have almost everybody eligible today. But that's that's not the way things are going. Um, the, the state has vaccinated about. Uh, just under 300,000, 288,000 doses, doses as of this morning, uh, and that includes 34,000 second doses. Um, so you have that going on, people who are uh, signing up on the state's website uh, where they can. It crashed early, but now, now you can get on there and sign up. 1.2 million people uh, have done that. And then you have thousands more in the uh, in long-term care facilities, nursing homes, And uh, CVS and Walgreens are doing their distribution there. And in New Jersey, uh, CVS is doing a much better job at getting the shots in people's arms uh, than Walgreens is. Governor Murphy actually uh, called, uh, called them out yesterday. He said uh, Walgreens uh, is not doing as well as CVS uh, in New Jersey. For, for, organizational reasons, for staffing reasons, for consent form reasons. So you have a lot of different uh, factors in New Jersey. Um, people are getting vaccinated. Now you're going to ask when.
1: That's the question I think everybody has. And and actually, because I also kind of have Jim jump in on this too, because Jim, Jim and Cherry have each kind of looked at different aspects of how it's going in Pennsylvania, because Jersey has their setup. And I know that in Pennsylvania, it's a similar kind of tiered system with the 1A1B gym. And I know, Jim. You've had a you've you've had a lot, especially just we've been dealing with uh, a doctor doctor Levine yesterday with the vaccine rollout. How is that looking here in the Commonwealth as opposed to New
3: Jersey? Yeah, it, it's completely different in, in Pennsylvania because they're still following the CDC and ACIPS guidelines of, of phases one A, one B, one C, and and so right now uh, the the they're still in one A, uh, which is Mike kind of alluded to. That's uh, that's Basically, frontline healthcare care workers uh, and, and people in, in nursing homes and skilled nursing facilities. Uh, and, and so they are not. Uh, while there are some police uh, who are getting vaccinated, they're still in one B. So so Pennsylvania and Montgomery County and any other, uh, you know, the, the Montgomery County has its own health department, um, but they still have to follow Pennsylvania health department's uh, guidelines, which right now remain that one A, one B, one C. Uh, and and Montgomery County began uh, letting people pre-register if they're in 1B or 1C based on age. 1B in Pennsylvania is 75 and older. Uh, 1C will be 65 and older. And as Mike said, uh, people with with health conditions, uh, other health conditions. Uh, The issue uh, that uh, both Pennsylvania Health Secretary, Dr. Rachel Levine and Montgomery County Commissioner, Dr. Val Arcus say say, is, is finding that balance of making sure you're getting the vaccine out to as many people as possible, but also making sure you're getting it to the people who need it the most. And that's based on you know the chances that that they could die if if they contracted the virus, uh, so that's why they're still focusing on the nursing homes and the frontline healthcare workers, uh, and and in Pennsylvania and especially in Montgomery County, the issue isn't having enough people to give it to, it's it's having enough vaccine to give, and so that's why they're still strictly following that one A one B one C, and uh, uh, Health and Human Services Secretary Alex Azar uh, said they should open it up that that state should open it up to everyone 65 and and over. Uh, But Pennsylvania uh, isn't there yet. And especially Montgomery County isn't there yet because they want to make sure that they're getting it to the people who are most, uh, you know, who, who need it the most.
1: Now, and you meant it's almost like a case of supply and demand. And this is where I'll turn over to cherry too. In case of a supply and demand in communities of color, black communities, obviously city of Philadelphia, you kind of have a both. You have a demand somewhat, Apparently, and you also have a definite need for the supply of it. And I know, Cherry, you've been dealing with the the Black Doctors Consortium. You've ta- you just did a story on them. Yeah. How are how are things when it comes to Philadelphia, and obviously the Black community, which has been very hard hit by COVID. We by percentage, yeah.
2: Wise, yeah. Three t- Black people are three times more likely to get COVID and to die from it. We're more likely to do that as well. But Black people are very reluctant and hesitant. Uh, to get the vaccine. So as of uh, right now, 90% of the vaccines that have been administered in uh, Philadelphia have been to non-African Americans. Um, And so why is that? Is it because Black people don't have less access to this? Or is it some combination of lack of access and hesitancy? Well, uh, recent surveys show that um, 35% of Black folks say that they absolutely will not get the vaccine. And large chunks of those who say that they will get it are saying, look, I'll just wait and see how everybody else do and then that'll determine whether or not I go in there. And of course this is based on, you know, generations of racism within the medical profession. I mean, can we think about Tuskegee uh, experiment anybody where they were injecting, uh, where black people Went to get uh, help for syphilis. Were not given treatment, and many people died as doctors watched them uh, die of this disease. And so, you know, there's a lot of hesitancy. And so, uh, Dr. Ala Stanford announced this week uh, that the Black Doctors COVID-19 Consortium will be administering the vaccine to Black people, Black communities in Phase One B, uh, which is very exciting. And she took it on camera. She got the vaccine in recent weeks on camera. At first, she wasn't going to do it because she had covid-19 but decided to do it because she knew that if she took the shot it would convince a lot of people to get the shot as well. So she's been she released a video, she made a plea and people are signing up. Um so we don't know when phase 1B will start, but she's opened up the website, people are requesting it. And we're hoping that as many as possible will get this vaccine so we can lower the incidences of COVID-19 and, of course, the deaths within the black community.
1: Now, I know we have a new administration coming in in less than a week, and President-elect Biden has already said that he wants to open up as many, op- as pretty much get as much of the vaccine supply out there to everyone. How, in, in your estimations, all three of you, and all you can, anyone can chime in, chime in on this. How do you think that will change the dynamic in terms of getting people vaccinated and getting it out there? And does that change the timetable and when people like ourselves could all actually get vaccinated at some point?
3: Well, I'll jump in, because one of the major issues that we're hearing both from Montgomery County and from Pennsylvania is, is a lack of communication and coordination from the federal level. And, and both uh, the Department of Health and, and Montgomery County are hopeful that a new administration can help that one of the issues that they're having is they're told that they're going to get this much vaccine and then they get a different amount. And that's making it very difficult for them to schedule. So if they can if they can get more, which would be great. And one of the one of the things that's being discussed and is likely uh, is that they won't hold back that second dose because it's expected that they can ramp up production. Right now, for every first dose that's sent out because it's a two dose regimen, a second dose is held back and the feds are holding that. Uh, and and what the plan is is to just let all of that be distributed right away because it's, it's expected that production will ramp up, so you won't need that second dose to be held. It'll be available when needed. Uh, and but but the main thing is being able to to get more vaccine out and also be able to tell the example that Montgomery County used yesterday was, if we know how much we're getting, we can schedule those shots. But we we're not getting the amount that we're promised, so it's challenging just to get people in to give them the shots.
0: Same thing in New Jersey. There are the, the mega sites can deliver 2,400 doses a day if they had that supply. And they, they often don't have that supply. So you, you walk into these places and there are rows of empty desks and um, and, and uh, ropes to uh, direct people where to go. Um, but there aren't people in those lines quite yet, because the supply just isn't there.
1: And that, that is such an interesting paradigm with this, is that I, I just spoke with uh, our medical editor, Dr. Brian McDonough, the other day about he, he just got his second one. And obviously, healthcare workers being doctors, he's right at the front of the line on this. And even he told me is that even with all this, people are still people still have to be vigilant anyway, no matter what. You still got to wear masks. You still got to do all these other things. And this kind of gives a bit of an understanding that people have got to hold on for a while because we're hearing everything that that normal, like just normal everyday citizens may not be able to get this thing to late summer, early part of the fall, certain, even the 1B section. We're not even sure when 1B starts. In New Jersey, when would they even think 1B would be kicking in?
0: Well, the governor hasn't said, but he, he he keeps adding people to the 1A group, uh, so that 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 line is being pushed uh, further and further down. Uh, the general consensus is that April or May uh, is when most people uh, in in the uh, the 1B um, and 1C groups will be able to start getting the vaccine.
1: And- I was going to say, Jimmy, it looks like you're about to answer. all. Yeah,
3: we got interesting statistics uh, from Montgomery County. They say they still have about uh, 10,500 people in 1A uh, to be vaccinated. Uh, And uh, for 1B, just for an example... Uh, there's 66,793 people, they estimate over age 75, uh, 16,598 teachers and staff, that's just public schools, along with 1400 police officers in the county. So that's just one small segment of of an 800,000, uh, a, pop- a county with a population of 800,000. Just to give you an idea, that's just a small sliver of, of who's in 1B. Uh, and there's still 10,500 people in one a that they have to get through. So, so you're correct. And it, it will likely be a while until we can get to through one C. So one thing about this,
1: the, the, about COVID it's a story of our time. And it's going to be taking up so much of it for at least the rest of 2021 and really going forward. And it, there's no easy transition to this it's transitioning to something completely different. There's a story that I saw this and it kind of caught me a little off guard. Cause I think I've heard about this before. There's a playground in Philadelphia where it was built on a burial ground. And Carrie, I know you can help explain (laughs) some of this too. What happened here at this particular playground with a name that I'm going to butcher the pronunciation, so I know you'll be able to get this one right. What's going on with this playground that apparently was built on a burial ground of more than 5,000 African-Americans?
2: Well, yeah, it's called the Wekiko Playground. It's located at 4th and Catherine in Society Hill. And now when you go to Society Hill, it does not resemble what it was like, you know, in the early 1800s. Uh, The city lines of Philadelphia had shifted. Um, And at at that particular time, it was primarily African-American. Black people could not be buried within uh, the the city limits of Philadelphia. And so 4th and Catherine was considered outside of the city limits. Uh, and uh, Beth- uh, Mother Bethel AME Church had bought this land to uh, bury um, members of the church there. And over about, um, you know, a number of years, they buried about 5000 different people. you got to understand people's life uh, span during that time was a lot shorter than it is now. So fast forward, uh, they sold the land to do some um, uh, renovations on the church. And people kind of forgot that it was a cemetery. Um, And so they built a playground. It became city property. They built a playground on top of it. Pretty nice playground. So in 2010, when the city was about to do some renovations on this playground, they discovered that bones were underneath. Terry Buckaloo is a historian, and he kind of hipped the city to this. And they did some excavation, and the estimates show five thousand African Americans are buried beneath this playground it wow. seems kind of creepy right i it, would be a little creeped out because something you hear in a movie. Wrong.
1: it's something yeah. in a movie like something being built on a, on a on a Native American burial ground and ends up being being cursed or it's it, that's the only time I hear a story when I saw this that's the first thing that popped in my head is that was this house built on an Indian burial ground or something but no it's this is this is real life so what are they what are they doing about that and what are the chance because I know Philadelphia when I first moved out here, six years ago. I know there's so many cemeteries everywhere anyway. Yeah. I lived in South Philly, Southwest Philly. There's a cemetery just down the street. I stayed in a hotel where I'm seeing gravestones outside of a hotel window. I don't, you don't see that.
2: What is, yeah, the city kind of- is a really, really old city and people don't realize that and things have shifted. We built on top of things. Um, but they're they're trying to find a way. They've been working for the past decade to figure out a way to properly memorialize the people, uh, the souls that are buried there. At the same time, uh, this is a very condensed area of the city. They, they need this playground. There's a lot of kids. There's schools around there. They need this space. And so what they've done is over the past 10 years with a lot of community input, have decided to um, renovate the playground and they found a section where most of the bones are, and they're going to put a memorial on that. And so this week uh, the city announced that they were opening it up for community engagement and input. They have commissioned four different artists who are pitching to the community four different designs of a memorial that will hopefully pay homage to the 5,000 souls buried at 4th in Catherine. and Catherine. So that's what they're trying to do Um This is a $1.15 million project. It includes public art. And so um, this is is sort of like the ultimate community compromise, so to speak, because everybody from the folks who live there to the parks and recs to uh, historians, everybody has really been involved. uh, African-American groups to make sure that these people are properly treated and that their bones are, are disturbed as little as possible as we try to make way for a play space for kids.
1: And when I just think about this, and obviously I, I'd love to have like Mike and Jim jump in on this too. And mm-hmm. the amount of time you've been working here, do you guys have like stories of stuff like this, where the, the history of the city kind of suddenly pops up in places, whether it's at a playground or at a store or to- or if somebody's building something, what have you guys seen historically around here? Cause that's just, that's such an amazing story and a little bit creepy too. you. That's a story here on Halloween, but what have you guys experienced before? What do you think of a story like this?
0: Well, the question that comes to my mind is does mother Bethel have a, a, a record of all of, of these bodies? How many, how many people have they been able to identify? Is there a complete record? Do they have, just a handful of them. I mean, how, how many families are really engaged and involved and vested in wanting to know the future of their ancestors?
2: Well, there is a huge disconnect um, between exactly the the records. You have to understand, uh, Beth, you know, Mother Bethel A.M.E. This is talking about 1800s here. Um, and I think the it stopped being used as a cemetery in the early 1900s. And so, um, you know, they do know some of the bones. And there was an exhibit uh, to the extent that they could provide, um, you know, details about individuals' lives. There was an exhibit that basically at N-City Hall that tried to give blurbs to some of the folks that they knew were members of the church and had died to the extent that they could piece it together. But I'll tell you a lot of the bones there were children because you have to remember the high mortality rate of children, um, some, many uh, under two years old, um, because you know there were all sorts of diseases. People died of things that today children survive. And so a lot of the bones were of, of babies and toddlers.
0: I'm sorry not to directly answer your question there, Jay, but. but no, no, hey, hey, you're a reporter.
1: You'll like all pivot. That.
2: that was a pivot by Mike. Yeah.
1: <laughs> that's a good pivot. No, and, and look, just thinking about this, it's just, and, and even you mentioned there's like a lot of these are babies, where back then, that's when smallpox and yellow fever, things of that nature were killing kids at such a young age. It's amazing. We were just talking about vaccines not long ago, and it shows you the difference between the time periods where. How many people? How many more of these kids could have lived if we had that kind of technology and science back then? But, but just the idea of it's like when you when I see bones on a playground, I'm thinking some kid comes down a slide and just happens to suddenly look up and there's that there's, there's a there's a skull there's a, there's a skull suddenly hanging out there or something like
2: that. And they are buried fairly deep, but if but doing these excavations, doing these renovations, the fear was that they would disturb the bones. And and when they started doing the renovations in 2010. Uh, That was the fear. And they they found, you know, that this this was a very real possibility. But, Jay, I did another story about a uh, Philadelphia Housing Authority high rise in Germantown that the uh, in the center of the high rise of this public housing. um, They found another historic African-American cemetery because, again, During the the 18th, 19th, early 20th centuries, because of racism, uh, Black people could not be buried in certain parts of Philadelphia. And so a lot of these cemeteries are outside what used to be the city lines. And so I remember going there and they were about to blow it up, you know, tear down (laughs) this area. And there was this the big beef about the neighborhood was, look, they got these bones. It's been there from 1700. you all going to do? Wow. So it's, a, it's a delicate balance between history and progress. You know, what do you do? You want to uh, respect hallowed ground at the same time. You know, we live in a city, there's limited space. How do you respect the uh, the past while making way uh, for the present and the future?
1: And it, it just shows the level of the city's expansion over the last, 250 years or so, how so much has changed and the history that is both up top and obviously beneath the surface here in Philadelphia, in the Philadelphia area. I, as we start to wind this thing down, what's something that each of you are paying attention to as we head into the, we head into the day-to-day?
3: Well, I, my, you know, we talked a lot about vaccines and obviously the, the other big news right now is, is the impeachment. Uh, and And it's unclear exactly or I guess it is, when 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 that gets underway in the Senate, one of the concerns is all the other things that need to be addressed right now, uh, including getting the vaccine out and, and COVID-19 and testing and all the other things that go along with this, uh, do they get lost in the news cycle? Do they get lost in the legislative cycle? And how do we prioritize the beginning of a new administration while still dealing with the the previous administration in the way that we are, and and I hope that we can find the balance uh, in, in, as 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 people in, you know in 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 media, I hope that we can keep other things front and center while obviously focusing on the very important proceedings that will be happening in the U.S. Senate.
1: Oh, absolutely, Cherry. What about you? What are you What are you keeping an eye on for today?
2: Um, Well, first of all, I want to say I'm prayerful that there will not be violent outbursts and and things like that as we move towards uh, the inauguration day, but I'm also watching the money. Um, I did a story this week about, you know, the release of this latest round of you know, COVID-19 relief funding for small businesses, $284 billion. Uh, over the summer, black and brown businesses were pushed to the back of the line. I'm watching the money, baby. I want to make sure that a lot of these businesses that were left out are put to the front like they say they're going to be doing. And so I that's what I'll be watching, the money.
0: And how about you, Mike? I'll be watching uh, the prospect of a an in-person return for Philadelphia school students, Um talked with uh, Dr. Height this morning, and he he's looking at February. He's not, not publicly announcing any dates yet, but in the coming weeks, teachers will return to school, and they'll be trained to, to keep social distance. They'll be shown where the uh, plexiglass barricades are, uh, and then a couple weeks or a week to 10 days after that, students will return. Uh, we're talking about Uh, kindergarten through pre-K through second graders. We're not talking about all students and we're not talking about all the time. It's a hybrid, Uh, but we'll be watching the return to students in school buildings in Philadelphia and how that will, how that will work, how it'll play out and what it'll look like.
1: I appreciate you guys taking the time to come in here and join us on the rundown here on KYW news radio. Uh, How can, how can people follow your work and follow you online before we head out of here?
2: Uh sure. Uh, I'm on all platforms: Cherry, Greg, on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. They can also take a listen to Flashpoint. Uh, we air Saturday night to nine thirty, Sunday morning at eight thirty here on KWW News Radio, uh, one hundred three point nine FM. You can also download the podcast. Uh, you can check it out at Newsradio dot com slash Flashpoint.
0: Cherry works much harder than I do. You can you can find me on Twitter at underscore Mike DiNardo.
3: On Twitter at Jay Melwert, although I've kind of taken a break from Twitter because it's become a bit intolerable over the past uh, several months. And on Facebook, at Jim Melwert. And I'm Jay Scott Smith. Follow me on Twitter
1: at Jay Scott Smith, J-A-Y-S-C-O, two Ts, S-M-I-T-H. I want to thank each and every one of you for coming on here. And joining us for the rundown, anybody wants to check out anything that's happening on KYW News Radio, you can keep up with the local news, of course, here on 103.9 and as always on 1060 AM. Plus, you can check us out on our website, kywnewsradio.com. And don't forget, you can also download the radio.com app and search KYW News Radio. And also, because we we're all over the place here, you can also check us out on your smart speaker. Just ask Alexa to play KYW News Radio.